0: I promise to support and guide you on every single episode. Let's begin. Hi, Warriors. Robin here. I'm your host, Robin Birkin. I'm thrilled that you're joining me again. Today is another episode in the Life After Infertility series. It's been a real pleasure to bring these to you because I think that there is a real gap between the resources that exist for women with infertility and the resources that exist for women not after infertility because infertility will always be part of my life but at those next steps because I think it can be a little bit different sometimes for women with infertility and I think it can be a really scary thing when your fertility clinic turns around at four, five, six weeks and says bye and then you're left all out in the wilderness and then all of a sudden you're obstetrician or whoever else you're seeing only wants to see you once every four weeks compared to, you know, you were getting blood tests like three times a week, then that's a really scary thing and I remember exactly what those moments are like and I think that it really is important that for women while they're in infertility, they can find, you know, like the path of where to find information when they hit the next steps. Does that make sense? So I want you to be able to have a few of the next steps whilst you're with me. And especially because I know that so many of you who listen to us are experiencing like secondary infertility. So you may have listened to the Fertility Warriors when you were trying for your first baby, and maybe now you're back because you're trying for your second baby. And that's exactly what I'm going to talk about today, which is Trying for baby number two when you've, you know, already had primary infertility and how that experience was really different for me. My experience of having like trying for Chloe was really different to my experience of trying for Olivia. And I'm going to list out some of the ways in which it was better and some of the ways in which it was worse. I've got the same number for each. So I don't think it was better or worse with one or two. Just different and I guess it might just show you some of the struggles of motherhood but also how it like it can be a beautiful thing or a blessing obviously any child is a blessing anyway so that's what I'm talking about today is our journey to try for number two so I'll start I guess at when we decided to start trying for number two we had all up, only two retrievals. We had a number of IUIs and ovulation inductions. In terms of retrievals, we only ever had two. One was a complete bust, hardly any fertilized. So we had two goes: one successful cycle but resulted in a miscarriage, and another unsuccessful cycle with two embryos. Then the next cycle, I'd been doing so much work. I'd been, you know, doing my, heaps of stuff. The fertility clinic changed some things up. And we got a much better result. And we ended up with five embryos in the freezer outside of Chloe. So we had Chloe and then we had another five embryos in the freezer. So that was what we were starting with. And that was what we had to work with. And so I had Chloe. I started motherhood. Both my fertility specialist and my obstetrician told me that because of my age, because of the struggles we were having, because our eggs or embryos, particularly the first round, just didn't seem to be surviving that well, that they encouraged us to get back on the wagon at a year old. So once Chloe was a year, my fertility specialist said, once you've had two periods, you need to come back, okay, if you want another child. So that was what they said. It was just coincidence that I got my period back at 10 months Some of you out there have been a little bit more unlucky and had your periods back much sooner. So sorry. But that was what happened. The period that comes back is, I feel, is always a mother when you get that first period. And I had that at 10 months, visited the fertility clinic at 12 months. And that was what they had told me to do. I got there and he said, are you still nursing Chloe? And I was like, yes. And he was like, how many times are you nursing Chloe in a 24-hour period? And the answer was about 12. She would just feed all night and I just wanted to go back to sleep. So I was feeding her about six to eight times overnight. This sounds ridiculous when I say it. And about four times during the day. So that was at 12 months old. And he was like, well, you're going to need to wean because I know that there are some people out there who will allow women to nurse and take fertility drugs. However, I need to let you know that it's definitive that those will pass into the breast milk and I really didn't want any of that affecting Chloe. So that was fine. We started the process of weaning and it took me until 14 months to properly wean Chloe. So that was kind of when we decided, okay, well, let's get back on the wagon and let's do this and... So we had five embryos in the freezer and they went to thaw one and it didn't survive, so they put another one in and it was a failed cycle. So we technically had three left and there was this big debate, I've talked about it before, between Ross and I on our philosophies on one embryo versus two embryos. So I was 34 at this time and so... Usually in Australia, they don't like to put multiple embryos in. However, where they're not so confident about the quality or where you're of advanced maternal age, such a charming uh, phrase, they will sometimes put multiple embryos in. And we had multiple embryos with Chloe's cycle that didn't take as well. So there we were. And ross was working and he didn't come to many of the appointments which is i guess one way that it was very different to the first time around the first time around he took time off work he came to all the appointments the second time around i was like no i'm good so he didn't come to every single appointment i would just take some of the paperwork home and sign it for him but i don't know how they cottoned on they cottoned on to the fact that he wasn't that keen to ever allow two embryos to transfer however I was like, "Uh, just give me a freaking baby now. First time around when we were doing IVF, all I could think was, I want twins. I want twins. Just give me twins. Then this is over and done with. Then I had a baby and I was like, oh my God, I'm so sleep deprived. I cannot imagine living with twins. You would live with twins. It would be fine. However, it is a much higher risk and more stressful pregnancy. So there's reasons why you definitely should advocate for only one embryo and particularly no more than two embryos. However, second time around, I was like, no, I highly doubt that in my body two embryos would fertilize. And you try it with one. My fertility specialist said, I don't know if he just pulled these numbers out of his bum, or if they're act like proper numbers, but he's like, so basically you've got a 30% chance of conceiving with one embryo and a 40% chance of conceiving with two. So Ross was like, well, two chances at 30% each. I'll take that one. And I was like, no way, man, that costs so much money. Just give me one chance at 40% because then I've got more chances of falling pregnant. And also like, it was my body. So he was kind of in the end, like, just do whatever, Robin. But they cottoned onto the fact that he was not keen for that. So on the day of my next retrieval, there was this, like, whole phone tag thing of they were calling Ross because what happened again, I'm just trying to think, there was this whole debacle and they were calling him, then they were calling me, trying to say to him, like, would you allow to, what's your stance, what do you think about this? And then me, they're saying... Okay. So this is what Ross has said. And what had turned out was that another embryo didn't survive. And then the, the next embryo they went to thaw was super average as well. And so then the clinic was a bit like, uh, oh, you kind of kind of waste your money if you just put the super average one in. And obviously once you thaw it, you can't unthaw it. First, it was this whole thing that they were like, Oh no, Ross isn't really that keen to put two in. So we won't put two in. But then they were like, uh, you've only got one. Like half hanging on for life embryo. So you should probably just put two in. So it was this whole phone taggy thing that (laughs) when they were determining the day before the transfer of what to do. Anyway, I fell pregnant that cycle. So we'll never know if it was the embryo that was hanging on for life or if it was the other embryo, but that became Olivia. So, second time around, I actually didn't need to have another retrieval. And I remember thinking the day before the pregnancy test that I might be done way before in the first time around. You know, you have those moments, you're like, should I just quit? Like, is this this over? Should I just, what do I do? How will I know when it's time to quit? And then, like, as I went on, I was like, no, I know that my body can do this. I know that, you know, this can happen. I just need to be patient. I need to write it out. I feel confident, and then I feel confident that when the time is right for us to stop, then I'll stop. However, after having Chloe, after going through everything that I went through to have Chloe, and then coming to the point where I was like, huh, if I'm not pregnant, and this is where I think you know, is you just think to yourself, I think I'll be done. And it wasn't this huge sad moment. It was just... You know, I think that if this one doesn't take, I don't know if I want to do another retrieval. I don't know if I, you know, can go through all of this. And I think that's when you know when you are truly done, you know, no one will ever know if I would have then gone, now I'll hop back on the wagon again. But I did have a moment where I thought, you know what, I can be happy for my blessings in life and happy for what I've got. I don't think I want to go through. Another retrieval again. My body like super responds to all of the medications. So it's not a nothing cycle. I was taking prednisolone. I was taking aspirin to quell any possible immune response. So it wasn't a small thing. And then just juggling blood tests and stuff like that was crazy. So what are some of the ways in which I found trying for number two harder than trying for number one? So the number one way that I thought it was harder, like hands down, is that I wasn't able to focus on myself. So first time around, I could be like, what's the ideal amount I should be exercising? How should I exercise? When should I exercise? What should I be eating? I'm just going to eat all of the perfect things that I should be eating. Then I would take time out. And then on the weekend, if I had a retrieval, I would just rest and I really got to look after myself and even in pregnancy with my first child, I could really look after myself. I could rest if I needed to. I could take a nap in the day if I needed to on the weekend and I really had my weekends and things like that to myself. Second time around, it's so much harder to make the diet changes and things like that because you're already cooking meals You might be cooking separate meals for your husband, maybe not, but you might also be cooking separate meals for another child. You might be really tired because as I said, at that point, Chloe was still waking up like eight times a night at a year old. If you have not yet had a child yet, please rest assured. Hashtag Chloe. It's unusual for that to happen. But she was still waking up like eight times a night. I was so freaking tired. And then I would go for a walk in the pram most days, but I didn't really get to choose how or when I exercised. I didn't always get to choose exactly what I ate. If I felt really tired on the weekends, I didn't always get the chance to nap. I would need someone else to tag team or I would need her to be having a nap. You don't always get to put yourself first in that scenario. So it just makes the diet and lifestyle changes so much harder meditating is like catches the can however you say that it's all a very different experience secondly is often you have to take them to the appointments at the fertility clinic which is actually really stressful and i know when i had primary infertility looking at the women there with their first babies and thinking oh that's really interesting i don't feel like i ever felt like they shouldn't be there or bring their other children, but also just looking at them and thinking, gosh, what I would give for just one. Second time around, the blood tests and things like that are so early in the morning and you're already probably maxed out on babysitting from other things. She just had to come with me to the clinic and then going there, I was like, please be quiet, please be quiet, like don't be naughty, don't have a tantrum, don't poo while we're there because she's still in nappies. And like, if Olivia is my number two child. If I was going through it again, I don't know if I could go through it again with Olivia. She's like a naughty child with oodles of energy and has like, she wants what she wants. She's very high spirited. So I don't know if I'd be able to do that. Whereas Chloe would go into that. They had like a little playroomy thing. So Chloe would go into the little corner where the toys are and she would sit and play with that. And I would play with her. But it's like a whole new level of coordination because you have to pack their clothes and you have to make sure they're awake and ready so that you can get to the clinic on time for your blood test results. You have to make sure navigate your stroller into the clinic. Um, If you've got older children, like how do you navigate you getting a blood test and then watching? So it's just this whole different level of logistics. Um, And then obviously you have to organize babysitters after your retrieval, then I didn't have another retrieval, but after your retrieval, after your transfer, you can't really rest or just hang out and watch Netflix the way that you used to because you might have someone, you know, with a short attention span who doesn't want to nap on your hands. So just navigating logistics, navigating other appointments, navigating babysitters. All of a sudden your mindset goes, you know, from How do I look after myself? How do I maximize my chances of falling pregnant? What do I need to do in my lifestyle too? Okay, where am I supposed to be today? What does this other person need? What's going on here? Things like diet to some degree go out the window, even though you're trying to do the best that you can despite being really tired and things like that. So then the next thing that made it harder for number two is that money was tighter. When we had Chloe, we were both working full-time and I was working in a management position, which was awesome. I worked long hours, though, and obviously full-time with lots of nighttime events. So that wasn't going to be suitable for me in having Chloe and it's very common. It's not so common in the United States, but it's very common in Australia for women to then seek a part-time role. So that's what I did is I was... Fortunate enough to go back to my previous role in a part time capacity, but I had already just taken for me a year off. In Australia, you get six months at minimum wage maternity leave. So I had that. I had saved up some annual leave from my job that I cashed in, but I was able to sort of make it work. But I had essentially had a year not at my full-time wage, so we didn't have the same savings that we had saved up the first time, and then I was going into only a part-time role two days a week. So where the first time around with our IVF cycle, money wasn't even a thing. We definitely dipped into our savings the first time around, but money kind of didn't even come into it at all at that point because we were both working full-time in good jobs. Second time around, there was not that huge buffer in the bank account, so we didn't have to because we felt pregnant, but there was definitely a whole new level of money might prevent us from trying again. So, yeah, we really had to tighten our belts and we changed our lifestyle a little bit in order to accommodate a new cycle, but we didn't end up having to have another retrieval. So, whilst we didn't have that much money in our savings anymore, hardly any, it wasn't the worst thing in the world. So, now that I've talked about some of the ways in which trying for number two can be more difficult or was harder for us, here are some of the ways that it was better for me. So, number one was that finally I knew that my body could do it, like I knew that it was possible. So, just like landing on the moon or the first person to run the 100 meter sprint once it's been done once before it makes it so much easier and so much more possible for it to happen again and what is it called like the four minute mile no it can't be the four minute mile four second mile no it can't be the four second mile <laughs> maybe it's the four minute mile or the 100 meter sprint in under 10 seconds but there's this huge stat that No one had ever done it for years and years and years. No one had even thought it was possible until one person broke the record and then all of these other people followed. So it's the same kind of mindset. I knew that my body could do it. I knew that there was definitely the chance that this could happen again rather than the unsurety of feeling like I didn't know whether it would ever be possible. And so I knew that it could happen again and I felt reassured by that. Even if I knew that I may not continue trying, I still knew that it was possible to try and that we could get going with our lives, you know, despite that. I knew that my body could do it. I knew that the capability was there. Number two was I had less time to dwell on what wasn't working because I just had to do things like feed Chloe, bathe Chloe, dress Chloe, put Chloe down for a nap, Chloe, 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 cook dinner, go to sleep. And that was kind of my life. I just didn't have the time that I had the first time to dwell on what wasn't working because I was forced into this everyday life with Chloe. And I do think that there's power in a little bit of dwelling, like stopping and taking stock, being able to process our emotions, being able to feel our emotions, being able to tune into our emotions. But I also feel, which is one of the reasons why I don't think that always quitting our job is the best thing to do, is that it just gives you a lot more time to sit and think about what's not working as opposed to being in your life, engaging with people, communicating and things like that. Number three, which I think was the most important for me, and I had a lot of friends who were successful on their first IBS cycle. And not very successful for their second babies that ended up with a lot of trauma following their experience. And I didn't have that. And I think that was because I knew it wasn't like do one IVF cycle and then you'll succeed and everything will be fine and hunky dory. I was prepared for battles. I was prepared for everything to take longer than it needed to. I was prepared that if I wanted to conceive, I may have to do multiple retrievals and multiple transfers. And I was really acutely aware that it wasn't an easy process and that it was a journey and not this quick fix, quick scenario that I would get pregnant with a little bit of medical help. So I was really prepared for that and I really understood that. And I think that really helped me in coping for the journey. I mean, did so much mindset work the first time around that I was really in tune with. I had a lot of self-awareness. I was really in tune with my blessings in life and what I wanted to get out of life. And so this time around, I felt mentally prepared where first time around, I had only just started to get my mindset around the mind stuff. So Yeah, it was a fairly different experience overall. And certainly at the beginning when I was trying for Chloe, I didn't have my head around the mindset stuff at all. I was an emotional wreck hiding inside a tough exterior. And so this time around, I was prepared. I knew what I was going to do. I knew what I wanted to share with people, what I didn't want to share with people. And, yeah, was just able to get on with it and was very lucky that I didn't need to do a retrieval again because I know that so many people do need to do a retrieval again. I know that there is, as I've said, a whole bunch of logistical things that happen when you go to have your second and, you know, I know that for not everybody it's an easy process but for me I was ready for the battle, I was ready for it to take time and was blessed that on our second transfer we were able to conceive. Olivia I hope that helps feel free to reach out anytime on Instagram if you have any requests for episodes particularly the life after infertility episodes I would love to know what you would like to hear and if I am qualified to chat about it myself I will otherwise I will do my best to organize an expert for you to jump on the podcast and share with us thank you so much for joining us again have a great day guys Thank you for listening to the Fertility Warriors podcast with me, your host, Robin Birkin. If you would like more tools, resources, and courses to help you survive your journey, please head to robinbirkin.com. And if you like this podcast, please share it with others. I look forward to catching you at the next episode.